to love on someone today, compliment someone today, speak life into someone today, and then you can be seated. Am I the only one that discovered it's just so much better his way? I tried my way. Anybody else in here? I, I tried my way. And his way is so much better. So much better. We know we're heading into what we call the resurrection season. We're heading towards the cross uh, as this is the last day of the month of March and heading into April. And today, I want to look at the cross in a way that I've never looked at it before, never studied it, and I've never ministered it this way. And I just pray uh, you'll be as blessed hearing it as I was in studying it. And so when we look at the cross, all of the symbolism that we see is one man stretched out. But how many know there was more than one man on that hill on that day? There were actually three men on that hill. And I believe God wastes nothing. And so if there were three men, then those three men represent something. And so before I give you the title today, we want to ask a couple of questions here. Why were there only three crosses on that crucifixion day? And then why these particular three? Let's see if we can seek to understand that on today. I believe God, God's arranging hand can be seen in the way that the three sufferers have been placed. This is your first time here today. The best way to follow along with us is the YouVersion Bible app. If you'll go to the event section, click on Linked Up Church, there's an outline of today's message. You'll see some fill in the blanks, right, so that you can participate. How many know you're not at a movie theater this morning? You're in church, and so you want to participate in your learning. So you can fill in the blanks, add notes to those notes. It's all right there on that YouVersion Bible app. Even everything that I'm reading right now, of course, I'm going to give you more than what's on that outline. But I believe God's arranging hand can be seen in the way the three sufferers have been placed. Of course, man always has his intention and his meaning, so I believe that man meant only to increase the shame on the sinless Christ by putting him between two notorious criminals as if he was the worst of the three. God, however, overruled in the placing of the two thieves in order to represent two great classes into which the whole of the humanity is divided both now and in eternity, the saved and the lost. I mean, I don't know, the human race only represents two classes, the saved and the lost. And everyone in this room is on one side or the other. <clears throat> and so, because all three victims died together, they depict three relative truths. One dies in sin one dies to sin, one dies for sin. The two thieves were dying
dying for their own iniquities. But the man on the middle cross was dying for the other two men and for all they represent. So therefore, we have a dying sinner, a dying saint, and a dying Savior. All of us at one point or another in our lives are on one side or the other of that cross. And every one of us have to make a decision about the man in the middle. My prayer for you today is that you either have already chosen life or that you will choose life today represented through the man on that middle cross. Let's read our opening text today and then I'll give you the title. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. says, two criminals were led away with Jesus and all three were to be executed, how? Together. So it's not just one Jesus up there, there are three people. How many know with God, all three of them represent something? Verse 33, so when they came to the place that is known as the skull or Golgotha or Calvary, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between the two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. Verse 35, a great crowd gathered together to watch what was happening. The religious leaders sneered at Jesus and mocked him, saying, Look at this man. What kind of chosen Messiah is this? He pretended to save others, but he can't even save himself. The soldiers joined in the mockery, of, mockery by offering Jesus a drink of vinegar. Over Jesus' head on the cross was written an inscription, Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. This man is the king of the Jews. And all the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, then why don't you save yourself? One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, What kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself, save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear God? You're about to die. We deserve to be condemned, for we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into, everlast into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded, I promise you this very day, you will enter paradise with me. I don't know about you all, but I'm glad paradise and eternal life is in my future. Anybody else in here glad that eternal life and paradise is in your future? I want to minister to you today on the subject of three crosses on the hill. We're going to look at each cross one week at a time. And today we're going to look at the dying sinner. Next week we'll look at the dying saint. And the week after that we'll look at the dying savior. Let's see what we can learn from the dying sinner today. Point number one, 
the dying sinner. Notice in verse 39, one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and us from this death. King James Version renders that a little differently. It calls him a male factor. So if you follow on your outline there, let's look at letter A, his deeds. We are told that this man is a male factor in the King James Version. The word means evildoer. He was a wicked man who broke the law and is paying for his crimes with his very life. And sometimes you'll find that throughout the course of life, we do a whole lot of things wrong and we like to blame other people for it. Instead of accepting responsibility for the choices that we made, we like to cast blame and ridicule other people and say they're the reason we're in the situation that we're in. So look at letter B, his derision. The word derision means ridicule and mockery. We are told that this man railed on Jesus in the King James Version. This word means to speak evil of or to blaspheme. It is also in the imperfect tense. This means he kept on blaspheming. Here is a man who is dying, and all he can think of as he dies is to mock and insult and blaspheme the Son of God. Now, this is not in your notes, but I challenge myself to try to understand a little further what would make someone who is dying for what they did wrong mock someone who is completely right. And I don't know about you, I learned in Bible school, this is an expository sermon. It's where you take one text, a longer passage, and you expound from it, and all of its points come out of that text. And so I like to let the Scripture interpret itself when I'm seeking understanding. So I'm trying to see here, why is this man mocking Jesus? And so I went back into the text, and I noticed in verse 34 there, was he mocking Jesus because he was praying for them? as they were crucifying him? I mean, you know, sometimes when we're wrong, we get mad at people who are doing good. Right? A lot of times when we know our situation is not right and someone comes along and they says, let me pray for you, sometimes our attitude can be, I don't need your prayers right now. And so is it the fact that even while this man has done nothing wrong, he still can find it in his heart to pray for the ones who are hurting him, and it's upsetting this individual? It's one thought we can look at there. Or did he just simply join in with the rest of the crowd as they mocked and ridiculed Jesus? You'll notice in verse 35 and 36, a great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. And the religious leaders sneered at Jesus, and they mocked him, and they said all these different things. What kind of Messiah is this? You know how it is. We've all been there where a fight breaks out, and the whole crowd rushes to see what's going on, and we begin to make the fun of the one one that's losing the fight. So could it be just that the crowd stirred him up, and he got caught up with the crowd and began to mock an innocent Savior because that's what the crowd was doing? How many know at any rate, it is also revealing a condition of this man's heart. Let's look at letter C here. Let's look at his doubt. Let's look at his doubt. This man reveals the true nature of his attitude towards Jesus when he uses in the King James uh, Version there, he uses the word if, if you are truly the Messiah, if you are the Son of God. 
He's saying, I will believe you if you save yourself and us. Come on, we've all been there before where if you deliver me from this, God, then I'll serve you with all of my heart. If you get me out of this situation, God, then I'll get saved and live my life for you. How many of y'all have ever been there before? So it's always conditional. If you do this, then I'll do that. As if he needs us more than we need him. So we can see this man's doubt. Now we could all say, what a tragedy. But wait a minute. I believe this man represents a lot of different forms of lost multitudes of people that we work around and we live around every single day of our lives. He's called a male factor, but he could have easily been called a drunkard. He could have easily been called a harlot. He could have easily been called an adulterer or an adulteress. He could have been called a drug addict or a murderer. He could have been called a lost church member. There's a lot of things he could have been called, but I want to remind everyone in this room, he wasn't a sinner because he was a thief. He was a thief because he was a sinner in need of a Savior. He was a thief and he did wicked because that's what he was. In that lost, sinful, condemned condition, this man was no different than anyone else in the world who does not know Jesus Christ. I mean, we were all lost and in need of a Savior. And I'm so glad that I received my Savior and he saved me from a wicked, horrible life. I don't want to think about where I would be today if I had not met my Savior. Anybody else in here just thankful to be saved today? So let's look at Romans chapter 3. I just want to show all of us we are all in need of a Savior. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, says, As it is written, New King James Version, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of apse is under their lips. Now, of course, we don't know what that phrase means, but an apse was a smaller serpent in the Middle East. Literally, this serpent had the ability to hide in the sand, and when the travelers would walk by, they had no way of seeing the serpent in the sand. And the serpent could easily disguise itself in the sand. And when the traveler walked by, the serpent could bite the traveler real quick. But because the serpent was so small, notice it says under his lip. The serpent held all of its poison under its lip. Its mouth was so small that when it bit a person, the person barely ever knew that they were bitten. But yet the, the poison and the venom was so strong that over time it would kill the individual. I mean, a lot of us haven't physically killed people with our hands, but boy, we put a lot of people down with our mouths. Oh, Lord, let me try this side of the room over here. And I'm talking about sometimes it's real subtle. They didn't even know we hit them the way that we hit them. 
And then later on, they realized that they just knocked me out like that. Come on, anybody here know what I'm talking about? We've all been there. Verse 14, whose mouths is full of cursing and bitterness. I don't know about you, but I can remember when I used more cuss words than English. I can remember when I cussed for no reason. There was no reason to cuss in that situation. Just cussing, just to be cussing. Come on, anybody here know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one? I've been saved all of my life. I was raised by a heathen family. They cussed more than they use English. When they called you, they cussed to call you. Bring your man right here now. Come on, anybody here know what I'm talking about? I grew up with uncles and cousins. They taught you cuss words before you learned English. Say this. <laughs> Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? I needed a savior. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I can remember when I would do anything I thought I was big and bad enough to do with no care or respect for God or the things of God. Not even saved and would still pray things while out there doing wrong. I come back and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Come on, how do you know he wasn't hearing no prayer like that after what I just did that night? Come on, somebody. But yet we do these kind of things with no regard, no respect for God. I needed a Savior. No fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets." even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Over the course of my saved life, I've seen so many people use that verse to justify their sins. They say, oh, when you go and you try to minister love to them, they say, hey, wait a minute, brother, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. How many of y'all have ever heard people do that? We're all sinners saved by grace. Well, listen, folks, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am saved by grace. And as a result of being saved by grace, he delivered me from sin. I'm not schizophrenic. You're not schizophrenic. Next verse proves that. They never keep on reading. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, being justified freely, being declared righteous freely by his grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption means he's redeemed me from poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Come on, somebody. He took sin and nailed it to the cross and gave me his righteousness. So that sin no longer has dominion over my life. Come on, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now. I am not a sinner saved by grace. Come on, he took eternal death and gave me eternal life. Come on, he took all of my brokenness, my poverty, my sickness, and my shame, and he gave me his prosperity. He gave me his life. He gave me his victory. I am not struggling along in life just trying to get by. I'm not some old sinner saved by grace. No, I'm saved by grace, and victory is mine because the Lord is on my side, and the Lord is on your side. Come on, if you believe that today, somebody give God a good praise in this place. I am scared to think about. I've been saved 30 years. I don't want to think about had I kept living that way where my life would be right now if I had not been saved by his grace. I don't even want to try to think about that. Galatians chapter 3 verse 22. But the scripture makes it clear, the Placid translation. Galatians 3 22. But the scripture makes it clear that since we were all under the power of sin, do you all remember where you sinned and you didn't even think about it? Then after you sin, you got to think about a way to top that. We got to go to the next level. Uh, this side been saved since birth. Came out the womb filled with the Holy Spirit praying in other tongues. Come on, anybody in here know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about when just, man, I don't know nothing else to do. Right? We all were under the power of sin. We needed Jesus, what the Scripture tells us. And he is the Savior who brings the promise to those who believe. What promise? Same one, redemption, folks. He didn't hang on that cross so that you can keep sinning. He nailed sin to the cross to deliver you from sin. You got to make a choice. Either you believe that or you don't. Because I'm going to make it real clear today. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. Ecclesiastes 7.20, New King James Version says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Every man on planet earth needs a Savior. So this dying sinner spent his last moments denying that Jesus was the Messiah. He spent his time blaspheming the name of Jesus. Again, this man is no different than a lot of the people we deal with on a daily basis. There are plenty of people who have no trouble taking the precious name of the Lord in vain. We hear it every day. When something bad happens, they say, God how many of you know that's taking the name of the Lord in vain? You see it on television and movies and all kind of things. When something bad happens, they use his name in vain and think nothing of it. There are many who think nothing of using the Lord's name as a cuss word. There are many who ridicule the name of Jesus and mock him, his church and his work. There are many who do not believe that there is a God or that man has a need for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. By the same token, there are people in this world, there may be some in this very room, 
who would never use God's name in that fashion. They would never mock him or ridicule him. They'll never make fun of his name or his church. Yet there's a new term out here today called a practical atheist. A practical atheist is a person who believes that there is a God, but lives their life like he doesn't exist. So they don't deny, but they live like he doesn't exist. And they become very comfortable with living with people that they're not married with. They become very comfortable rolling out of the bed on Sunday morning and going to church as if I did not have all of these experiences on Saturday night. They become very comfortable in the club on Saturday night and then saying hallelujah on Sunday morning. You have saved me. Come on, somebody. I wish I was in somewhere where they believe the truth of God's word. They become very comfortable cussing and lying and drinking and smoking as if that is normal and I can still go and conduct business as usual on Sunday morning. They have no problem conducting worldly business all week long and playing for God on Sunday, singing for God, preaching for God, living something quite the contrary Monday through Saturday. Folks, it is time for us to stop playing church and start being the church. If that's all he died for was for us to live just like the world, then I don't want that kind of salvation. If it can't save me from my sins, if it can't stop me from lying, if it can't stop me from cussing, if it can't stop me from sleeping with people that I'm not married to, come on, if it can't stop me from living just like the world, then I don't worry. But if God is God, then let's serve him. But if the devil is God, then get out of the church and go out there and give him everything that you have. But let's stop playing with God and the things of God. I'm setting before you today life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your seed can live. You must understand the choices that you're making today are impacting more than just yourself. Come on, we serve a wonderful Savior and his name is Jesus. I don't want to be a practical atheist. I don't want to act like I know him and love him on Sunday and then walk out of here and live everything contrary to that. And it doesn't bother me. I don't think he took that beating for that. That trait marks so many in our day. And it proves to be like this poor dying thief. It's the fact that they refuse to believe in Jesus for their soul's salvation. A lot of people, folks, I believe, would get saved if they didn't meet a Christian. Gandhi said, Mahatma Gandhi said, He would have become a Christian had he not met one. Nobody wants to give their lives to anything, and we're out there doing the same things that they're doing. Common sense would tell you if it's not working for you, why are you trying to introduce that to me? 
You don't hear a lot of these kind of messages in churches anymore because they're not popular. A lot of times people think the giving is going to go down if you preach the truth. Let it go down. A lot of people think people are going to stop coming to church if you preach this kind of message. I got news for you. If everybody in this room left and God stayed, then me and God are a majority. I will have to give an account one day for what I shared with you. And if you don't love me because I told you the truth, I can live with that. But it's time for us to stop playing church. I don't want to be a pastor of a church that acts like the world. I want to be a pastor of a church that acts like Jesus. And I need every real saved person in here that identifies with that to just give God your best praise right now. So this dying sinner's man, this dying sinner, his life really centered around that word if. You can recognize these people when you try to witness to them. There's always some objection, some argument, some excuse offered as to why they cannot and will not come to faith in Jesus. It may sound simple, but it's proof positive that they're lost and they're headed to hell without God. You're trying to love on them, and they're debating with you, well, if all of that was then, why are you? Reveals a condition of their heart. I can tell this message is not popular today, so let me bring some relief in here. This next statement right here is going to bring a lot of joy in this room. In closing... See, all that joy just was released in this room right here. In closing, if you've seen yourself in the person of this dying thief, this dying sinner, then let me leave you with a few thoughts today. Number one, there's nothing you're living for outside Jesus that's worth dying for. That's an expensive piece of booty if you're willing to go to hell over it. I know you're not used to hearing that in church, but somebody needs to know the truth out there. I said that's an expensive piece of booty if you're willing to go to hell over that. I don't care how big his muscles are, Come on, I don't care how big his chest is. Come on, somebody. Because in the reality of that, he can take you from going, ooh, to, whoa, I'm in hell. Just that quick. We buried someone yesterday, 58 years old. Former professional athlete, All-American in college, Pro Bowl athlete. How I many know I'm 51? At 51, he was, I promise you, he wasn't thinking about dying at 58 promise you that. A lot of times, folks, we're just out here living our lives, and we don't know what day is the day. 
that would be an expensive piece of booty if it caused me to miss heaven. And I'm here to tell you, there's no booty out there worth that. I need somebody to encourage me in this place today. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Let's read verses 35 through 37, the Passion Translation. There's nothing you're living for outside Jesus that's worth dying for. Mark 8, 35 through 37. For if you let your life go for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will continually experience true life. I'm so glad at 22 I gave up fornication for abstinence and holiness. So glad I traded that in. Because in return, he gave me a beautiful wife and two beautiful children when I decided to trade in my way for his way. If you want to experience true life, give up your way of doing it. Goes on to say here, but if you choose to keep your life for yourself, you will forfeit what you try to keep. So even the stuff you're trying to keep, you're going to eventually lose. For what use is it to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you and it cost you your own life? Or what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? And I just want you to think about your life right now. And what is it that you're willing to give in place of your own soul? I hope the answer to that is nothing. Number two, today is your wake-up call. God is letting you know that you need to turn to him and be saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, today is your wake-up call. Never put off to tomorrow what God is encouraging you to do today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Passion Translation says, For he says, I listened to you at the time of my favor. And the day when you needed salvation, I came to your aid. So can't you see, now is the time to respond to his favor. Folks, God sent me here today to tell you that he loves you. To tell you that you don't have to live any kind of way outside of him to encourage you that his way is better than your way, to share with you that he is favoring you today. He wants to love on you today. He wants to make a great exchange with you today. He wants to take all of your poverty today and exchange it for all of his prosperity. He wants to take all of your sickness and disease and your pain, and he wants to give you health and healing and wholeness for the rest of your life. Come on, he wants to take eternal damnation and hell, and he wants to give you eternal life today. God is favoring you today because he loves you more than anything else on this earth. If he gave not his son to save your life, how shall he not with his son freely give you all things? You're spending your life chasing things that God is trying to favor you and give to you. If you'll just get out of the way and get off the throne and let him get on the throne, everything that you're chasing, he has already provided for you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of the stuff will be 
added to you, folks. Let's stop wasting time and let's start redeeming the time. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, then get saved. If you're saved and you got away from Christ, then come back to Christ. But let's not play around with this anymore. Come on, let's not be hung between two opinions today. Let's make a decision and let's stick with it. Let's stop waffling. Let's stop changing. Let's stop being saved and on fire for two weeks and then back out in the world. Come on, let's stop going to church for a period of time. Then we don't see you for months at a time. Come on, let's get in and let's stay in so that we can be the church that God has called us to be. Folks, we've got an opportunity to win and impact an entire community. But we're not going to do that playing church. It's a lost and dying world out there that's waiting on us. We can't give them what we don't have. Today is the day of salvation. Number three, there's only one way this will ever happen. You must believe in Jesus by faith or you will be lost forever. John chapter 8 verse 24, the Passion Translation says this. That's why I've told you that you will all die in your sins if you fail to believe that I am who I am. How many of you know it's possible to do the works of Christ and not even know Christ? Devils can quote the scriptures. I submit to you folks, there are a lot of people who think that they're saved. They're going to miss that day. But yet they're out doing the work. Give me some chapter and verse on that, Pastor. Well, you remember that man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, haven't I cast out demons in your name? Haven't I healed the sick in your name? Is that not what he said? What did Jesus say? Depart from me. Because what you live is iniquity. I never knew you or had a relationship with you. Folks, it's very possible to preach, to sing, to play, to serve, and not even know your Savior. I know this kind of preaching won't get me an award on earth. But I'm telling you, heaven is rejoicing right now. Come on, heaven is encouraged right now. Number four, you're living on borrowed time. The Lord will not call you forever. And all will go the way of the earth unless we're raptured first. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, the Passion Translation. This really convicted me when I read it. Stubborn people who repeatedly refuse to accept correction will suddenly be broken and never recover. the truth, folks. This day is going to come on all of us unawares, which means we will have no idea when it happens. It's going to come like a thief in the night. If you stay ready, you won't have to get ready. Anybody here love God? 
Anybody here love Jesus? Let's worship him for a minute. Music department, let's just worship him for a moment. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's worship our Savior. grateful for the love of God. His love is why we have the gift of salvation. Why we're able to be here standing in our right mind right now. God, we worship you. We worship you and we thank you. love for you is immeasurable. Won't you receive his love today? Why don't you just lift up your hands right now and receive the love of the Father right now. Just let him love on you through your worship today. We chose a worship song today because it gives us a chance to see our heart. Come on, let the Father love on you as you love on him. Let him remind you of his great love wherewith he loved you. Come on, let him remind you of the price he was willing to pay on that cross for everything that you're dealing with and going through right now. Come on, he's preparing your heart to make a great exchange today because he loves you so much. If you would, look up here at me for a moment. 
The Bible says that God, Spirit of God, God searches to and fro across the entire earth, searching for someone who he can show himself strong on their behalf. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 talks about that the Father looks for those that will worship him. He seeks those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're in this building today, just look at me for a moment and you find, found yourself not being able to worship God, just not being able to enter into his presence, not being able to sing that song. I don't want you to ignore that. That's a condition of a heart. Because how many of you know a saved heart responds to, to God, to their father in worship? Those hands going up is an act of surrender. So I just want everyone to look at me for a moment right now. If Jesus is calling you today, then he's encouraging you to come to him. Don't delay. Don't put off to tomorrow what God is convicting you about today. I want you to listen to me. He's favoring you today. He sent me here today to share that message because he loves you so much. He's literally trying to get you out of a life that he knows is not good for you. And he's trying to get you over into a life that he knows is very good for you. So if you're in this building today, you don't have a personal relationship with God. You couldn't worship him. You just, it just wasn't there. And you feel that distance between your heart and God. If you're here today and you want to have a relationship with him through a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you today. That is the way to the Father is through his son. Secondarily, you might say, Pastor, I'm already saved. But the reason my heart wouldn't let me worship, man, this message just convicted me today because I, I know I'm away from God. It didn't condemn me, it convicted me. I know that my relationship is not where it used to be. And I want to come back to Christ. I want to rededicate my life. I want to get my life back right with God. If that's you today, I want to pray with and for you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You're with family and friends today. We all love you. We all had to come this way. This whole service was set up for you today because God loves you so much. My third invitation today is if you don't have a church home, come on, man, come and join our family. If the Spirit of God has convicted that this is where he wants you planted. If he's convicted that this is where he wants you planted, our promise to you is that we'll pray for you every single day of our lives. Every time you come in this building, we're not going to give you fluff. We're not going to sugarcoat stuff. We're not going to play, play around. We're going to give you the truth of God's word. And we're not ashamed to do that because that's the best way that we can love you. And so if God has confirmed and convicted on the inside of you that this is where he wants you planted, we'll be happy to receive you. So now, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed in prayer, no one moving, no one talking unless you've been assigned to do so. I gave three invitations today. Come